From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. The driver for people to change jobs, the, the number one is career progression. So, you know, what we sort of see, you know, when we're talking to talent about why they're looking to move, it's always because they want a new challenge. You know, they want something that's going to really engage them and motivate them. So therefore, you know, when we're talking to, to companies, um, you know, we try to ensure, you know, that they have an offer, a career path. That was Nick Pierce. Nick is a recruitment entrepreneur, founder of and director of Alexander Glo- Daniels Global, and a co-founder of the broader Alexander Daniels Recruitment Group. The mission of Alexander Daniels Global is to enable the industrial revolution in additive and advanced manufacturing through talent. They work with innovators and developers of additive manufacturing technology, materials, and software to identify, engage, and attract and recruit the professionals they need to achieve their strategic objectives. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you get your podcasts, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. And Nick, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. It's a Friday afternoon, so I appreciate it over in the UK. Um, Thanks, Mike. So I'm excited for the conversation today. I think you and your company have a really unique perspective on the industry coming from kind of helping people find jobs and, and helping companies kind of develop their workforce. And, and so it's, it's going to be a good conversation given the growth of the industry. But I like to start with, with everyone that, that I interview with more some context so we get to know you a little bit more. So um, yeah. kind of where are you from? Where you grew, uh-huh. did you grow up? Um, kind of what kind of what was schooling like? Where, where kind of got, what kind of got you on the path of, of where you are now? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm here in the UK. I live in Worcester, which is uh, fairly central probably people will know uh well in america worcestershire sauce <laughs> so in, in we're the home of worcester sauce um that's where it was created but i was to be confused with brown sauce right no definitely not definitely <laughs> not um so yeah I, I i grew up here in the midlands um the industrial heartlands of of the uk um yeah, I uh, studied business at university in Birmingham, um, which was kind of a broad business degree. And, you know, post-university, didn't really know what I was going to do, to be honest. But I'd worked in retail sales, you know, since the age of 16 and was quite good in a sales environment. And as a lot of people do when they come out of university, I had quite a bit of debt. So, um, you know, my main objective in leaving university was to kind of clear my debt. And um, somebody suggested to me that I'd be good in recruitment because it's sales related, performance based. Um, You know, if you work hard, you can earn well. I thought, yeah, okay, that sounds good to me. So, yeah, I kind of fell into recruitment as a career. Didn't have any intention of staying in it long term. You know, I thought I'm in for a couple of years, earn good money clear my debt and then I'll do what I really want to do in life because no one you know sets out on a path to become a recruiter that's for sure um and, and actually you know for the first six months or so in recruitment I hated it I wasn't very good at it um but um pivotal moment for me was actually breaking my leg um playing 
football or soccer. Um, it meant that um, I couldn't walk. It was non-weight bearing. And this was before we had all these digital technologies. So I spent two months living in a one bedroom flat with my nan in Birmingham so I could keep my job. And, you know, that gave me the kind of motivation to sort of really kick on. And um, the fact I couldn't leave my desk meant that I was at my desk for almost 10 hours a day. Turns out that's what you need to do to be a good recruiter. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I, I earned the money. I started to get good at it. And actually, I fell in love with it because, you know, I realized that it had everything I loved in terms of, you know, I was meeting new people every day going and talking to lots of different companies about their business, um, you know, meeting lots of different candidates. And um, yeah, I, I really found myself enjoying what I was doing. Um, I uh, worked for a couple of different companies, including, you know, one of the world's biggest recruiters. Um, and when the uh, financial crash hit sort of 2008, um, I started to fall out of love with the company I was working for at the time. Um, it became quite a corporate environment then, cutting staff and things like that to, you know, make ends meet and thought, I know what I'm doing now. Um, so I approached a guy uh, who I worked with and said, hey, how do you fancy doing this ourselves? You know, setting up our own recruitment company. So, um, yeah, 12 years ago, we founded Alexander Daniels, um, which uh, was our first recruitment business, specializing in recruiting accountants here in the Midlands, because that's what we knew. Um, and since then, we've grown that into a multi-divisional recruitment business. We've got uh, an offshore recruitment business with offices in Guernsey and Jersey, the, the Channel Islands. We've got an energy recruitment business that specializes in renewable technologies, you know, kind of solar, waste to energy tech. Um, that's based in the UK with offices in Scotland um, as well as in Birmingham. The original business that we set up, the finance recruitment business, still exists. But um, you know, we got into additive manufacturing seven years ago, and you know what happened was um, we had an intern working for us at the time, helping to set up the energy recruitment business. Him and I would talk all the time about new technology, technology that was shaping the world, and. You know, one day we saw a story of a guy in uh, BBC here in the UK who'd had a motorbike accident, severely disfigured his face. And basically the story told how um, they were able to use photos of him before the accident to create sort of, um, you know, a 3D model of what his you know, face looked like um, before the accident, um, which enabled them to create 3D printing molds and um, 3D print um, cheekbones so they could practice the surgery on molds and then they physically implanted, you know, cheekbones that have been 3D printed. And I was just like, wow, mind blown. You know, like I'm not an engineer, but I was truly blown away by this technology. So we did then a bit of research, uh, found a course, uh, Deloitte Massive Open Online course in 3D printing. So I took that um, because I wanted to know more about this technology. Um, the intern who was working for us at the time then went back to Barcelona where he was from and he had a final year project to do for university. So we said, well, let's have a look at a kind of, you know, lean startup mindset around 3D printing. You know, like, let's just see 
you know, what's going on. So just start talking to loads of different companies. And we talked to loads of companies about the technology. So we found out about, you know, technical challenges, speed, repeatability, availability of materials, um, you know, and it, it, it kind of became apparent to us in a sort of six, seven month period that, you know, this industry was really growing, but there wasn't a lot of talent in it. Um, and actually, when companies realized that, you know, I, for example, had a recruitment company would ask, well, do you do talent for 3D printing? Um, and we, we said no. Um, but it seemed to me that there was an opportunity there for us to do that. Being based in Barcelona, um, the guy who was uh, working for us as an intern um, had some contacts in HP. And basically, they invited us in and said, we're about to launch, you know, uh, a 3D printing technology. We need to recruit engineers, sales, et cetera, et cetera. We're looking for a partner to help us do that. Could you do it? And we thought, probably. <laughs> but we had no experience of it. Um, and they gave us a really tough job to fill, um, which we worked on. And we went and did a presentation to them about our findings. And yeah, that uh, you know, started uh, the journey for us into 3D printing. So, you know, now been in the industry about seven years in total. Um, but we founded Alexander Daniels Global six, just over six years ago. Um, the belief was always that additive manufacturing will change people's lives. Um, so, you know, we make it our mission to enable that revolution through talent. We've built a team of people now who, you know, are passionate about the technology, who every day love to see the new advancements in the, uh, the capabilities of this technology. And, um, you know, we work globally now across the value chain of the industry. So with machine OEMs like HP, with um, material companies, with software companies, and those businesses that are adopting those technologies to, uh, to, to identify talent and, and support their growth and ambition, as well as working directly with individuals to help them manage their careers. And um, yeah, I, I can't sort of say how much I really do enjoy the industry. You know, I recruited accountants for 10 years and I enjoyed that. Um, and now I'm in an industry where, you know, I'm meeting completely different people all the time. You know, I was in Berlin earlier this week meeting clients. We've been working with a great startup company since they were in stealth mode. And I love that. You know, we've really been on some great journeys with companies from five to 200 staff. You know, we've been on journeys with companies that didn't exist and now are market leaders in the industry. And, and that's really, really exciting to be a part of. And, you know, I, I guess what also, you know, really excites me a lot is that I don't even think we're at the kind of, you know, base camp of what 3D printing is going to be yet. You know, we really have such a long way to go in this industry. And, you know, I'm continually amazed by what the technology can do and therefore, you know, over the next sort of 10 years, I'm looking forward to just seeing how it evolves even further. So, yeah, hopefully in a roundabout way, that tells you a bit about me, you know, my background. Um, yeah, that, that's, uh, that, that's the story, Mike. Perfect. Now, I, I think that's a great start. And I can uh, relate to the Midlands having spent three years at Loughborough. So, oh, um, fantastic. 
So kind of getting back to like, as you start the business. So um, it's funny. So way in 2012, I actually had some recruiting kind of background. I helped a good friend of mine write a book on college recruiting and he ended up starting a company. And so I, I can kind of uh, empathize kind of with that kind of early stage journey. So when you were just starting, even with the accountants, were you mainly experienced doing experience recruiting or were you recruiting out of university or, or college? We, we, you know, when we first started the business, we were working almost exclusively with qualified accountants. So people who'd been to university um, or not, but had been through their accounting qualifications and got to a point where they were qualified and looking to make that first step really post-qualification. That was the sort of sweet spot, um, you know, but it, that business has grown and changed over the, 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 the years and, and now works across the full spectrum of, you know, accountants from kind of entry level right through to, you know, kind of CFO, um, CFO level, um, We've never really done a lot of, you know, straight from college um, type type recruitment in, in that sense. And, you know, certainly not as much of that in, you know, 3D printing, additive manufacturing either. Um, although having said that, um, you know, I think now and, and it's only probably been in the last few years. And this is because academia has caught up a little bit with what the industry needs it wasn't really possible five or six years ago to recruit people straight out of college because there weren't really any good degree courses that, you know, led to, you know, talent having the kind of background that companies want. I think now we're starting to see, you know, the first waves, well, certainly over the last couple of years, the first waves of talent coming out of, you know, university with real exposure to additive manufacturing, you know, and the type of exposure that company wants perhaps not so much at bachelor's level, but definitely more at master's and PhD level. Um, you know, we're starting to see, you know, the, uh, the, the talent coming through in that space. So one of the things that is always interesting with recruitment and kind of building a team is like, from your perspective, you get to really see you're selling a company, right? If you're connecting a, a company or to an employer or potential em- employee, um, and so you get to kind of see the behind the scenes of like, hey, are, like, is is what this company says they're doing actually what they're doing? And so like you have yeah. to maintain integrity between kind of your recruits and, and people you're talking to as well as the company. So you're always kind of in this middle ground where you're saying like, hey, like, do you guys actually do that? Like, do you guys actually mm-hmm. like, are you actually a good place to work? Are you actually... Yeah. Um, like everyone wants to say like, Hey, we hire the best people. Right. But like nobody can hire, everyone can't hire the best people. So it's like one of these things where you see the inner workings and the personalities of these companies. So how much of how, how are 3d printing companies thinking about that? Right. Like it's a very end, like manufacturing engineering focus. Like how much is this, like you, we've seen stereotypically over the last 10, 15 years and in Silicon Valley, where every company has a lunchroom and a gym, you can get your haircut and all this stuff where in manufacturing, like it's not the case, right? Like there's, no. there's different things you can play off against and different cultures and, and things yeah. but like, what are the, 
what are the selling points that that people have in this industry or kind of what are some of the differentiators that you've seen in terms of things that have worked well from a company side to say like hey like this is kind of how we take care of our company or our employees and um so hopefully that makes sense it kind of you get yeah get yeah point, no but. no i think so no i mean i i think you know what what's probably um what's probably interesting to sort of cite here a little bit um what does talent want mm-hmm. when you know it, it, it's you know looking for a move uh, in the market you know and we do global salary survey every year you know, have done for the last six years we released our latest report um, back in sort of end of January early February and the driver for people to change jobs the, the number one is career progression so you know what we sort of see you know when we're talking to talent about why they're looking to move it's always because they want a new challenge you know they want something that's going to really engage them and motivate them so therefore you know, when we're talking to, to companies, um, you know, we try to ensure, you know, that they have an offer, a career path, um, you know, and in particular in this market where there's been a lot of change in jobs over the last sort of 12 months, it's not just your ability to attract, but also your ability to retain. Because if career progression is one of the major motivators for people to change jobs, then if you can encourage that within your existing organization, then um, you're more likely to hold on to the, to the great people, um, to, to the great people that you've got in that sense. I mean, I think the other thing that you were sort of alluding to is kind of the work environment and culture of the company. And I think that that's vastly different across a range of different um, businesses within additive manufacturing. It's still a relatively small industry um, in the sense that um, you've got a mixture of, um, you know, bigger companies, but still not big in the, you know, sort of grand scheme of things. And a lot of exciting new startup companies that are um, uh, coming into the market, you know, with new ideas and new technologies. And they're very different in how, they create culture and a working environment that um, suits uh, suits them. Bear, bear with me just a second, Mike. Sorry, this is one of the dangers of working from home. You have an errant child that runs into the room. So I was saying that um, the approach that companies take towards work culture is very, very different. You don't generally see on-site gyms and you know things like that in this industry. The companies just aren't big enough. But you do tend to get, you know, free snacks and, you know, things like that, especially in the sort of, you know, Bay Area type startups. I mean, I think there's one company that we work with that make a note of putting how great their peanut butter pretzels are on the job descriptions, for example. Um, And work environment and culture is an important factor, you know, for talent in terms of what attracts them. Again, we found it was probably joint third on the list of things that people are looking for in terms of a motivation to change in terms of a motivation to, to to change jobs so having a good culture having a good working environment is important for a company to be able to attract talent um, but I think you know that's different for different people you know and for some people a good culture is you know a team of like-minded people that you share passions and interests with. Um, and, and I think that 3D printing is full of companies like that because 
you know, I'm yet to meet somebody who works in this industry that isn't just completely enthralled by the technology, you know, at all levels and in all role types. Everybody really is passionate about the technology. So inevitably you will find that in, in, in most in most companies, I, I would suggest. Um, but I think companies do have to work hard to retain that culture, you know, because we also see that when companies go from, you know, the exciting startup phase to, you know, a more bigger, you know, corporate phase, you tend to see processes coming into place. And, you know, at that point, a subset of the people that really enjoyed the startup phase will no longer enjoy the culture. So how do you then move an organization forward, you know, with the changing, um, changing culture that getting bigger inevitably, um, inevitably creates. Um, so, so I think there's lots of things around that. And those dynamics are really interesting in, in the sense that I think, and I was reading the report um, that you mentioned the salary report, which is great. And I'd recommend anyone kind of check that out. But I think one of the stats that if I can remember correctly, it's like there's 16 open positions for kind of every existing kind of person in the additive space, right? Like there's a, it, it really is swinging toward more towards the employee has the uh, negotiating power or like mm -hmm. the power of choice versus the employer. Right. And I think that's yeah. generally a good thing in the industry, right. Where it, it like it forces companies to be innovative on the people front, which is often something that you don't see. I mean, I think it's undervalued generally in terms of how your people strategy aligns with your technology strategy that like given it's a technology forward industry, right? Like everyone wants to talk about their latest printer and material and costs and all that, but kind of as they build a culture around their company, I mean, that that tends to th th show through as well. Um, and so yeah. it's interesting to hear you say like that career progression or keeping people interested in what they're doing or showing like, hey, I'm not just going to be doing this materials test for the next 10 years, right? Like showing people what that path could be is, is really important. Definitely. And I mean, to, to your point about where does the power sit right now in terms of the employee employer relationship and, you know, definitely sits with the employee right now. Um, you know, we, we looked at um, some research, you know, for the salary survey. Um, it sort of came off the back of, I was recruiting a role for a company in Italy last year, and it was a pretty normal role that we would recruit a sales manager. And I ran a search and I was going through profiles, you know, looking at different candidates that all looked good for the role, but I started to notice that they'd all changed jobs in 2021 already. Thinking, you know, oh, they're not going to change jobs again. Um, and you know, I started looking, I was going, God, there's so many candidates that have changed jobs in this past year. You know, I wonder what percentage of people in the industry have changed jobs. Um, you know, and, and this concept of the great resignation, which we're hearing a lot about now, or the big quit, the great resignation, you know, these sorts of things. That wasn't around at the time. I was doing this research for the last year. It was in the summer, sort of August time. So I had a look at our salary survey from last year. And one of the statistics was that, I think it was like 33% of people said they were extremely likely to change jobs in the next 12 months. Now, we collect the data 
from sort of September to November in 2020. So we might have expected to see about 33% of people move jobs in 2021. So I did the research and you know, I, I have to remember the exact statistics here, but I think in America, it was something like 37% or, and in Europe, it was something like 38% of people had changed companies in 2021. So it kind of bore out the statistics that we found from the salary survey. Um, I ran it back and thought, okay, well, I want to sense check the data here to sort of see, well, what was it like in 2020 when we were in the midst of the pandemic and only 7% of people moved companies in the US and 8% moved companies in Europe in 2020. So what that um, sort of tells us really is that, um, you know, this kind of concept, the great resignation, the big quit, that really happened in um, in 2021 for sure and that's only continued in 2022 i think in fact the data that we got from the salary survey was again that something like 33 percent of people were extremely likely to change jobs in 2022 so if you had a third of the workforce change jobs in 2021 you've got another third of the workforce that plans to change jobs in 2022 you've got two extremely difficult hiring challenges for organizations on the one hand, with a third of the workforce having changed companies in 2021, um, you've now lost a third of your potential workforce from which you can hire because they're not going to change jobs again, more than likely. But you've also got the risk that a third of your workforce are probably already looking for a new job as well. So not only are you going to try and hire, you're also probably going to lose people and the demand for talents continuing to grow. So that definitely puts the power into, you know, the, the individual's hands. And, you know, I can share with you anecdotal evidence of, you know, some candidates having four or five competing opportunities on the table at a time, you know, when they're looking for new roles. We see then the impact of that in salary, you know, where you probably had sort of stagnant growth of salary in 2020. You know, we had marginal rebounds of salary in um, sort of 2021. Um, I'm seeing candidates now getting salary increases that I think are way beyond what their capability is. Um, you know, and far be it from me to dictate that to clients, what they want to pay people. But, you know, I think we're getting to a point where the the market is not at a level where it meets the experience of the individuals. And that's good for the individuals because they're seeing, you know, high proliferation of salary at a very young age. Um, but it's not sustainable long term, and especially in light of everything that we see now in the wider macro um, macro economy, um, you know, with um, inflation and rising cost of living and things like that. We only sort of seek to sort of it proliferates that if we keep increasing salaries as well um so um so yeah i, I think it's a really interesting time you know I, in the 18 years i've been in recruitment i've never known a recruitment market quite like this in terms of the level of demand that seems to be out there for talent um you know and and I can speak for you know multiple industries here. This isn't just additive manufacturing. This is happening across all of the businesses that we we have um, you know within our group. So um, yeah, certainly you know for the next well at least through 2022, I see this continuing 
um, you know, the, the, this kind of demand for, for, for talent for sure. But um, and, and like I said, that 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 puts the, the power firmly in the place of the employee, in the place of the candidate. Do you think most of those people are considering, I mean, I'm sure of the 33%, it's going to be a, some distribution, but of people that stay in additive or stay, retire or kind of do, do something different? Like do you see most people staying within the industry or kind of branching think, out? Um, to... Yeah, the industry lost some people. You know, that that's true. You know, I would say of 2020, you know, when we didn't see Europe do this so much because of the different labor laws in Europe. But in the US, we did see, you know, companies cutting staff, um, you know, through 2020. And we know that people left the industry then, you know, they went into other industries and, you know, probably won't come won't come back. Um, we didn't see huge growth in talent, you know, in additive manufacturing, I think. Um, you know, in the US, you know, our sort of statistics suggest that between 2020 and 2021, maybe about 20,000 new people came into the industry, but the industry was flat in Europe, no new talent growth in Europe in, in 2021, as far as we can tell. Um, so, um, you know, that suggests that probably there was new talent that came in. But we also lost talent as well to um, to other industries. Um, you know, from what from what we're seeing, there is so much opportunity in this industry right now. Why would you leave? You know, the salaries are really competitive. Um, you know, the 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 opportunities are really exciting. Um, so I don't see any reason why any candidate or individual would want to leave this industry and go and work in any other industry right now it's uh it's an industry that's on fire and so switching gears a little bit uh, i guess when you start a search um so a lot of engineers aren't the most extroverted people right so like as and kind of telling their story and their career path and and maybe some people haven't even thought about kind of changing jobs since college and things. So like, how do you, what are some of the tips that you kind of, you would recommend or things that you see as, as you do your search of, hey, someone's looking at ex, trying to expand their career path or kind of switch jobs or kind of get more capabilities. Yeah. Like where, what should they be focused on? Should they be beefing up their LinkedIn? Should they be doing other stuff? Like what, reaching out to you directly like what what where do you yeah. where do you like to so to i mean it depends so. yeah it depends on the stage of career that they're at you know i mean certainly early stage career professionals that are you know one or two years outside of graduation that have got you know maybe a little bit of experience 18 months two years it's difficult for them because they won't have loads of experience but there are lots of opportunities for them in additive best way that they can present themselves is definitely LinkedIn that's the first place we go to source for, for candidates and you know making sure that they've got good detail in what they've done you know in terms of any projects that they worked on as part of their graduate degrees or you know any um, experience that they've got from a work environment trying to be detailed in you know what they've worked on I guess in some cases there might be sensitive information that you can't share but in terms of the kind of core skills and experience that you've got, put that in there. 
you know, I mean, some of the most common roles that we see at the moment are additive manufacturing engineers, application engineers, process engineers, for example. They all require sort of similar skill sets, especially around metal-based additive. You know, again, that's really, really growing right now. So, you know, anyone that's been working on metal machines in any kind of capacity, whether that's in terms of design for additive work, you know, doing the actual you know, product part design, you know, topology optimization, you know, that sort of stuff for manufacturability of the part um, or people who've been working hands-on with the machines and kind of process optimization, process parameter development, you know, that sort of stuff. If you can get that kind of information down on your LinkedIn profile, you know, the kind of buzzwords, then, um, you know, you'll come up in the searches that recruiters like we and others will do and we'll be able to identify you. And if you're looking for a job, definitely flick your open to work on because, you know, as a recruiter, we'll always probably reach out first to the person who's got their open to work flicked on, you know, thinking if they're open, we can at least engage them based on that. Um, although that wouldn't prevent us from reaching out to somebody if we thought they were the right sort of profile. And again, that gives you the opportunity to put exactly what you're looking for, you know, what type of role, what type of location, you know, all of that's really, really useful, uh, really, really useful stuff. And just put in that's something on, on LinkedIn, right? Summary. On yeah, LinkedIn, yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can put that on and your, your current employer won't see it, right? Like that's something that is, or is that not they, the case? uh no 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 they 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 wouldn't um they wouldn't see that yeah um you know i mean unless unless they've got a recruiter license and you know specifically they're looking at all their own employees profiles you know it's 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 not a a problem you know to, to to sort of flick flick that on so yeah but that that's useful it's useful for us at least anyway um so but yeah we would use that and then I, I think like the, the other advice that I would give to people who are at that stage where they're thinking, you know, maybe it's time to, you know, make a change or, you know, even for those people who are looking to get into the industry, um, you know, think about well, what you want to do, you know, first, um, you know, as you approach a search for something, you know, actually try to narrow it down a little bit, you know, think about what you enjoy doing, think about what your skills and strengths are. How can you apply that in the next role? What type of company do you want to work for? Um, you know, what are your limitations in terms of location or you know, salary expectations? And, and just sort of have a good think around those sorts of things. Now, as a consultancy, we'll talk about all of that with all of our candidates. We'll want to understand what their motivators and drivers are, um, as well as what their skills and experience are to try and make a good fit for them with an organization that would have the right type of role. So having a think about that beforehand will certainly um, help them make a better, better decision. And what about at some of the higher level roles? Do you also kind of look at some of the C-suite and kind of higher level yeah. roles as well for yeah so that's actually probably where i spend most of my time right now um you know certainly over the last 18 months i've been heavily involved in a number of c-level searches i've currently got about five ongoing right now um for various different organizations um so that that part of the market has also been quite buoyant 
driven by an explosion of startups, really. You know, lots of investment coming into the market, lots of funding. You often have a founding team that might be very technology orientated, for example, but lack maybe commercial or business experience and therefore need to complement, you know, the expertise they've got on maybe the product development side with a strong CSO or CRO to, you know, really drive the go-to-market strategy and business development activities for the company. So, you know, we've worked a lot on those types of positions over the last 12 to 18 months. Um, yeah, CRO, CSO. Um, I think we're starting to see now as businesses are scaling up as well, more kind of COO type opportunities as well. You know, when you get to a certain size where actually you need to manage operations, manage your organization, build a structure that is scalable and sustainable. So we see a lot of opportunities, um, you know, of the kind of COO type as well. And with that, I mean, feel free to answer how you, how you ever you wish to protect protect the innocent on, on this question. But at least the one of the challenges in the industry so far is, I mean, you've had a number of companies go public over the last kind of year or kind of SPAC or whatever financial engineering term mm. you, you choose to to look at. But if you look at the performance of many of those companies, it's gone down exponentially down the wrong way that you'd want it as a as an employee with stock options and things like that. So has that changed anyone's mindset in terms of how people are thinking about compensation? Say like, hey, like startups interesting. Like this mm -hmm. industry doesn't have a great track record in the last few years of startups that have been kind of doing well on on some of the the stock exchanges with yeah. public offerings like what's the the general feel there with with even some of the kind of i guess employees? i guess it depends when you got in you know like because you know a lot of these companies would give stock to employees who are early stage employees um and that stock isn't valuable at all it has no real value until something like a you know, an IPO or an acquisition, you know, sort of takes place, at which point their stock is valuable and can be, you know, can be sold. So, you know, I think the, the answer to that question depends on the stage at which an employee is engaged in the company. You know, like we're working with a very, very early stage startup at the moment to recruit, you know, some C-level roles where they're, you know, hiring them as co-founders with real equity. Now, you know, if that business achieves an IPO in five years, you know, that will turn the C-level people we place into double-digit millionaires, you know, and that's attractive to people, um, you know. Now, that's not common, um, but it is possible. Um, you know, what we tend to see more are the kind of phantom share VSOP um, type solutions, you know, virtual stock options or, you know, things like that, where you know, as the company's valuation grows, so does the valuation of those shares. But again, you know, it's only realizable upon, you know, some kind of, you know, capital transaction. Um, so there is a, there is an intrinsic value to those shares for both the employer and the employee in the, you know, the employer 
helps to get the individual to buy in towards their goals of building value and the employee should therefore be rewarded at some point because of that um, and that sort of ties the employee in in some cases they're tied in because those shares you know vest over periods of time so the longer they stay the more the shares are valued at and you know they uh, make it sometimes difficult for them to to leave before because they're looking at them going well if this happens i'm effectively giving quite a lot of money up um i don't think it comes up in negotiation that often you know most companies they either offer it or they don't and employees i wouldn't say they're indifferent to it but i don't think for most of the roles that we recruit it's a big part of their overall comp plan that they would have um now certainly in bigger organizations that have been trading for longer as listed businesses stock options in the form of rsus will be a big part of a comp plan for a senior director and above kind of level where they'll get an annual stock award um, now that is that is a big incentive because um you know it, it um it provides um something beyond a monetary valuation more more than just salary or bonus but actually you know a part of the company um and you know when you get those awards every year at a level you know it helps to create wealth for individuals over time um and those sorts of stocks are less volatile compared to perhaps the newly listed stocks like a desktop metal for example um, but I think the days of the big SPAC type deals might be numbered. Um, you know, we saw recently Ascentium didn't get theirs away. Um, I think we're starting to see now the attitudes of investors change, um, not least because interest rates are going up. So, you know, where before you had to spend the money because there was nowhere else to place it, you know, to really earn value now the bond markets interest rates are moving upwards you know there's some investments that are starting to look less attractive from a return on investment standpoint so i think we are going to see a little bit of a change in the investor community over the next 12 months where they will become a lot more risk averse and only you know dare i say it, dead certs are going to get away you know, whereas I think maybe in the past 18 months, I think the timing for the companies that got away worked well for them, um, you know, and they've got to work hard now to prove the valuations were right. Sure. And so maybe kind of last question is, as you think you kind of mentioned kind of the outlook of the next kind of 12 months, um, maybe two pronged kind of what are you excited about generally in the additive industry, but then more specific to you kind of what from your company perspective, maybe just not additive, like what's exciting, kind of what's kind of keeping you motivated as you grow your company over in the kind of yeah. in the double digits of years now in the next. In the next yeah. So let's start with the additive industry. Um, so I think uh, what really excites me in the next sort of 12 to 18 months specifically is you, you, we've got a couple of commercial launches coming on the metal binder jetting side, um, GEHP. I think this technology, you know, has been shouted about quite a lot by desktop metal, but I think we're going to see some real, you know, industry heavyweights 
coming into the market with technology that has you know strong application base that will really really facilitate and grow um, the industry as a whole um, and drive us into new application areas that haven't existed from a production standpoint before so that that is something that you know kind of really excites me I think the other thing that I'm interested to sort of see and see how it evolves is you know software and the role that software has to play in this industry now going forward um, I think there's a lot of uh, big players in that market you know from a sort of big PLM, ERP, MES system providers like you know Siemens, PTC, Dasso, Autodesk that are all embedded but then there's some really exciting new SaaS startups coming up that I think you know, we're going to facilitate the move towards industrialization of AM because their technology is directly applicable to that. Um, so that excites me um, a lot about the industry. Um, and yeah, I think the other thing, you know, we're working with quite an exciting platform-based startup. You know, we started working with them in stealth mode and I'm excited to see how a disruptive business model based around platform um, asset light um, could really you know kind of revolutionize digital supply chain um, so I think it's interesting to sort of see how you know now and this kind of links back to the SaaS kind of idea as well you know that kind of crossover between you know sort of digital supply chain hardware software that intersection of the industry you know how it starts to evolve now um, you know, especially post-COVID, where you know traditional supply chains were disrupted, um, I think software platform this is going to play a role in creating you know more digital, localized you know sort of solutions. So that that's something that I want to keep 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 my eye on um, quite a bit. Um, from a purely business standpoint, well, yeah, I never like to look too far ahead. Um, you know, and, and that's based on some lessons learned. Um, you know, when we started the company, you know, 12 years ago, we were going to just be an accountancy recruiter. And we plan to have, you know, a network of offices throughout the UK um, that would be bought by, you know, a bigger recruitment company. Um, and uh, yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> we tried, we failed in some markets to expand. You know, over the time we've you know tried and failed in a couple of different markets as well outside of finance. You know, and now you know we've built a really great team around the key markets that we're in now. Um, you know, we see a lot of potential to grow the whole business without really actually growing the team because the markets are good that we're in. So it's driving productivity and then just recruiting you know good people as and when they come along. Um, and I think that that's the plan, you know, for my business as well. Um, you know, we hired somebody new into the team last year. Well, we hired two new people last year. Um, I think we'll hire another one this year. Um, but they're somebody that we see coming online for next year. It takes a long time to get up to speed. Um, so it will just be steady and managed growth. Um, you know, I'm not looking beyond the end of this year. Uh, I'd like to think that we probably could and will have a record bit year this year. We will have a record first quarter. I think we're taking a lot of pipeline into quarter two. And I truly believe that we will have a record year this year. So that excites me. 
and I want to be able to reward the team for that. Um, and, and that'll mean, you know, some exciting trips with the team and things like that, which, you know, is make it, makes it all worthwhile. I think the other thing I'm looking forward to um, is getting back to a bit of travel. Um, you know, that was the thing I really love about this job is going and meeting clients. And, um, you know, we've not been able to do that for a long time. And actually, I was in Berlin on uh, Monday, Tuesday this week, visiting a couple of our clients. I really enjoyed that. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to being able to, to do more of that going forward. Fantastic. Well, Nick, thank you so much for your time today. Excited to maybe see you over in the state side or at Forum Next or something like that next. Yeah, well, I'll be at Rapid in um, May. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. We'll see you there. So thank you so much. Perfect. Mike, great stuff. You have a great, uh, you have a great weekend. Thank you.